It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 81, David and the Mighty Men. 2 Samuel 23, 8. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joseph, Basabath, a Tekamite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai, the Aoite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamim. For battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Heverite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. During the harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave at Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. What we just read was from Second Samuel 23, which is at the end of the second book of Samuel. The end of Second Samuel is written more like an appendix. We'll conclude this episode with this account of David and the waters from the well of Bethlehem. For in this episode, we cover the making of the mighty men. A little historical note before we go any further. I've been telling the story of David quite similar to the first Samuel dictation, but it reads very much like storytelling, and at times there are years between the accounts and even sentences. For example, most scholars believe David was in the court of Saul for about seven years before being ejected from Saul's court. I honestly missed this originally, so I want to make an apology for not clarifying this earlier because I told the account like it was a three-month-to-one-year time period. It's hard because sometimes you have to recognize that there are years between sentences in the Bible, but it reads like storytelling, without a lot of dates at times, which makes it hard to decipher. So for clarity, this is the take of the podcast. Don't get me wrong, there's lots of opinions. Taking a studious look and researching different opinions, we're going to go with David being anointed king at 15. 
being in Saul's court for about seven years. He's now 22 years old and on the run from Saul. He will be on the run for about four more years before he goes out of the country again. But this time, he's at the head of an army of 400 men, soon to be 600 men. I'll try to post a good timeline to the Facebook page uh, for reference. The prophet Gad gives David the advice to evacuate Adullam, which he does. Here's the account, 1 Samuel 23, 23. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah and are looting the threshold floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines and save Kilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kilah against the Philistine forces? So check it out. These future mighty men, the men who are currently described as distressed, indebted, and discontent, said they were afraid here in Judah. David was persistent, and he inquired of the Lord. 1 Samuel 23, 4. Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Kilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So we've got to love what has happened. David has a group of misfits, and he trains them in the way of war. He shows them love and gives him a place to be, and becomes their protector and trains them in the worship of God and the ways of warfare. I imagine David had to start from scratch. Some of them probably never even wielded a sword or knew how to use a bow. No, Joab, you have to hold a bow like this. No, Abishai, this is how you hold a sword. And after some training and much persuasion, David gets this group, this ragtag group of men, to attack the battle-hardened Philistines and achieves victory. 1 Samuel 23.5 So David and his men went to Kilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kilah. Now Abiathar, son of Ammahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Kilah. Because David was the anointed one of Israel and taught by God himself, imagine the anointing and teachings from God himself that flowed down upon these men who joined him in the wilderness. It's a thing to consider. The student and disciple can walk in the ways and anointing and power of the master and teacher. This is the case with Elijah and Elisha. Think Jesus and the fishermen and others who followed him, or the fact that Peter's shadow healed people. This is the case with the misfits who followed David. In the words of contemporary preachers today, if you want to be a giant killer, you must follow and learn the ways of a giant killer. This is what happens to these men. The account continues. 1 Samuel 23, 7. Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. And when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Kilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will. Again, David asked, Will the citizens of Kilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, They will. So David and his men, about six hundred in number, left Kilah, 
and kept moving from place to place, and when Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilah, he did not go there. So David convinces the men to evacuate Kilah and go into the desert wilderness. Take note here. David has received instructions from Gad the prophet, now Abiathar the priest. 1 Samuel 23:14. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was in Harash in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Harash and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Harash. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Harash, at the hill of Achillah, south of Jeshimon? Now your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. Found out where David usually goes and who has seen him. Tell me where he is. He is very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. And then I will go with you. And if he is in the area, I will track him down among the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Moan, in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Moan. When Saul heard of this, he went into the desert of Moan in pursuit of David. You see, it's a cat and mouse game. David refuses to fight Saul, but Saul continues to pursue him. I can see every day David's men grow in stature and military training during these days of marching. Now, Joab and Abishai were training the men to wield swords and bows. Their armament was growing from seizures of weapons from the Philistines, and the rigors of army life were hardening the men, and the worship of David by campfire brought a covering to the nightly routine of marching and camping. The account continues. 1 Samuel twenty-three twenty-six. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah-Hakamahoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. All the fleeing and running is probably taking the course of over a few years here. And all the while, David's men are getting hardened in the ways of warfare, with David as their leader. His troop was now grown to 600 men, and there's a subtle hint of something going on in David's heart here. So if you like symbolic numbers, there are some here. When David had 400 men, the number four refers to seasons, and 100 is considered fullness. So David had entered into a season of fullness when he walked into Adullam. After Kila, he ended up with 600 men. Six is the number of man and sin, or the flesh. And again, hundreds is considered fullness. So we went from a season of fullness to the fullness of man, or the flesh, or sin. Seems a bit harsh all of a sudden, but there are more hints. After Adullam... We don't see as many psalms written for the next eight years. 
yeah, there's some in Engedi and a few other places, but there's just not as many. And also, David's polygamy starts soon, followed by the corruption of power and some strange decisions he makes when he goes back to Philistia. So let's keep an eye on the heart of David now that he has started to grow in the power of man. And let's remember the danger of absolute power in the hands of any man who still carries any idols in his heart. And I've also heard a good number of references to this scene, where David is being chased around the mountain. In this case, we can imply a few things. You ever heard anyone make the statement, how many times do I have to go around this mountain? This typically applies to person who makes the same mistake over and over and over. Like that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and expecting the same results. I like to look at David's life to consider all the hardships and see what character he should have learned to prevent him from making future mistakes. Could it be he faced his hard seasons and learned many lessons, many life lessons, and some character of Jesus, but not enough of it to prevent his future sins? And this is where I ask you, are you getting the lessons in Jesus' character required, or is God allowing you to go around the mountain over and over because you aren't getting it? Trust me, I've been there. And when I feel like I'm going around the mountain over and over, when this happens, the answer is just to cry out to God. What am I not getting? Holy Spirit, show me the way around this mountain and teach me the truth I am not getting. Alright, so David's been in hiding from Saul for a good while, and the pursuit continues for a long time, and it ends when the Philistines show up and draw Saul away. David was in the strongholds and wilderness of Judah when Saul breaks off the pursuit. Now this is where we get to the beginning of the episode, where the mighty men go to Bethlehem. To be clear, this scene can fit in about four different situations. We're going to go with this time frame. So here's the scene. David follows at a distance as Saul retreats and goes after the Philistines and approaches Bethlehem and sees the Philistines have seized the town and put a garrison there in his hometown. Imagine the turmoil to see your hometown occupied by the enemy. And this is what David sees and this is what's going on in his heart that his home is occupied by their hated enemy, the Philistines. So let's conclude the episode with what could have happened here to earn the admiration to be called the three. First, let me explain David's mighty men in a brief synopsis prior to their great feat, which earned their description as the three. We get from the end of 2 Samuel that there was about 30 mighty men who were called the mighty men for military exploits. Abishai, David's nephew, was over the mighty men. Joab, also David's nephew, was a commander of David's army. There's also Benaiah, the captain of David's bodyguard. And over and placed in higher esteem than the rest was an elite force considered in greater merit than even the 30 mighty men and even the leaders. They were called the three. These three were the strongest of the strong and mightiest of all of David's warriors. Each of them were Samson's in their own right, and these guys were incredible. A dream for any leader to have men in your army like this. 
We began this episode with their accounts. We conclude this episode with what they did when David longed for a taste of home and drink of water from the springs at Bethlehem. I see David one night over a campfire after noticing the Philistines had taken over his hometown, broken, tired from marching, finding little rest from Saul's constant pursuit, that he, in a moment of weakness, declares, Oh, that someone would get a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. This was obviously not a literal statement, but the statement of an exhausted man missing the security of home and maybe even missing the taste of non-desert spring water. Three men took to heart what he said because they owed their lives to him, for he brought them hope and purpose. For this reason, they longed to do something, anything, for this young man who they owed so much. In turn, their actions received the admiration of their leader and God himself, for they are remembered for all time in the Bible. Here is the account. 2 Samuel 23:14. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink of it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the honor of David. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.